Area 10 Faith Community meets in the historic Bird Theater in Carytown in Richmond, Virginia at 9.30 and 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings. We hope you'll be able to join us, but in the meantime, enjoy this recording of last week's message. It seems like there are two types of people, and, and for whatever reason, these two types of people always seem to marry each other. When they get married, there's the planners and then the non-planners. So how many of you are the planners that like you want to organize it, get it done, and make sure that we all know ahead of time what the schedule is? And how many of you are the non-planners were like, let's just wing this thing, kind of go with it and have some fun? Just notice who's in the room, find planners, go do something. Well, you don't have time after church, but non-planners, go out together and hang out, go get lunch or something. You're good. The planners didn't schedule for that, so we're, we're not good, you know. Um, no, it, it, it's weird, but, but, but I, what I've noticed that is even if you're a planner, even if you, you got all your ducks in a row and you got all the plans for whatever the thing is, a lot of times it just, it just falls apart on you, like it, you, it doesn't go like you intended it to. And that's true of so many things. That's true of, you know, whether it's vacation plans or that's true for your school plans, your educational plan. I didn't get into that college or, or maybe it's, it's true for work. Um, sometimes things just don't go the way you planned. Um, she broke up with you. The company had layoffs. Uh, your kid's not doing what you're hoping your kid would do. Your dating plan, your parenting plan, your career plan, your project plan, sometimes that just Stuff, that stuff just goes out the window and the unexpected stuff happens. Um, and, and usually when things go awry, um, people have very different reactions. Um, some people like to double down and they go, well, my plan didn't work out. I'm just going to go at it again even harder. I, I learned my mistakes. I'm going to go back at the thing and really get it this time. And I, I know what I did wrong. I'm going to really go do it. Some people, when their plans don't work out, they, they go to their drug of choice. They go, oh, I, I want to numb the pain. This isn't working out. And they, they kind of go into uh, some, some destructive behaviors. Some people get very religious when their plans don't work out. And they start saying, oh, you know, God's going to take it. My plan didn't work out, so, so God's going to take this. And we'll say things like, Jesus, take the wheel, right? Like, which is a way of saying, I can't drive this thing anymore. This is too much for me to handle. God, you're going to have to handle this. And I understand that. Uh, the, there's an old French proverb that was quoted in John Steinbeck's novel um, that says, the best laid plans of mice and men oft go awry. And I think that's been a, a theme for me over the last couple of years of, man, you have a plan and then it doesn't work out. I remember when we were going through the building project to purchase property and build 2810 over the last three years here, um, I, I was, you know, I'm the optimist. I'm like the, hey, rah, rah, we're going to go do this, and it's going to be awesome. And I was like, we're going to buy this building. It's going to be like six or eight months, and we're going to build it out. It's going to be amazing. And then it took 22 months. Um, and 22 months of a project that you think is going to take eight months is really discouraging when you're the person, like, leading the charge. Because people come up to you, and they're like, how's the building project going? And I'm like, slow expensive. What do you want to hear? Like, I, I don't have good answer. Like, like you, and you get, you get tired of saying nothing to people. Like, I got nothing to tell you again because this is just taking longer than, than I thought. And, and you have these plans and you think it's going to be a certain way and it doesn't work out. And so um, we looked earlier in the fall, we looked at the book of Esther and, and we looked at this moment and these moments in her life when, when things were not working out and the sky seemed to be falling. And one of the things we learned from the book of Esther is that God is present even when he seems absent or even when he's silent. Today, I want to look at another person who we can kind of learn. A, a, there's a similar lesson to be learned about where we see this like Jesus take the wheel moment happen in the Christmas story. We're looking in the, at leading up to Christmas on 
uh, in December, we're, we're looking at the different people in the kind of the Christmas narrative and trying to understand where they're at. And, and one of the things we learned from looking at Mary um, is that she has her own sort of freak out moments as well with the whole thing. And so I want to talk about it today because her plans are, uh, her plan is going to be altered uh, for her life and God's going to show up and do something. And there's an account of that in Luke chapter 1. And so we're going we're gonna to read it. Um, I'll start with verse 26, and we'll put it up on the screen. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. All right. First of all, I want to point this out because as we get into the Christmas story, for a lot of people, if you're very skeptical of religion or church or Jesus or any of this stuff, um, this stuff is going to, what, even what we talk about today, is going to just be a little weird to you. And, and we are maybe, as Americans, we're probably, 21st century Americans, we're probably naturally pretty skeptical. And, and I want you to see some things in there, just in this narrative. Luke records some details here for us, gives exact names house, like house of David, like lineage stuff, talks about a specific location, Nazareth near Galilee. Um, it gives a, a month. Um, and, and so he's giving some time stamp and location stamp details on this event that he's describing. And the reason he's doing that is Luke is trying to record history. It's, this does not read like, once upon a time there was a fairy princess or whatever the heck, right? It's not like that. It reads like history. And you need to understand that we are used to, in modern writing, we're used to history being written in great detail. Where we, go, you know, if, if, if this was written now by a novelist now trying to say, like, this is what's going on, they would write lots of details about the exact thing. You know, Mary was feeling sweat of perspiration, was, was beating up on her forehead, and, and she was concerned as she turned and looked. Like, that's the kind of stuff that we write now. In the ancient world, Nobody writes like that, and in fact, in most of the ancient world, nobody's writing like this. This is extremely detailed for the ancient world, right? Think of like the Iliad and the Odyssey and these sort of other kinds of writings where it's very vague. This is very detailed, and Luke is trying to record history for us. I, I know, because we're going to get into, we're talking about angels appearing. That is a supernatural thing. By definition, supernatural things are not natural. They're not the things you experience every single day. And it's easy for us in our Neil deGrasse Tyson minds to go like, man, I don't know, this. I don't think this really happened, I'm not sure. I get it that we're skeptical. For some of us, skepticism is like as natural as breathing. And so I just want to say, hold your breath for a minute for this story, okay? Just read this with an open mind. What if it's true? What if God, there is a God and he actually intervenes in a supernatural way into the natural world. Um, it's pretty powerful. So the angel Gabriel shows up. He's named Gabriel. He shows up. He speaks to Mary. She freaks out, as you would if you see an angel. This is what people do when they see angels. It's not like in the movies, guys. It's not like Nicolas Cage shows up and you're like, oh, this is sweet. It's an angel. No, it's terrifying to everybody in the Bible who sees an angel. It's not normal. It's weird. She freaks out a little bit, and she's like, what's going on? And he brings his greetings, and it says she's sort of disturbed by the greeting. She's wondering what, what on earth is going on? What kind of greeting is this? 
And then this is what the angel says to her, verse 30. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him to the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever in his kingdom, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? All right. So the angel appears and, and tells her all these things. You're going to have this son. It's going to be God's baby. Um, you're going to name Jesus. He's going to be the, the, the son of the most high. Um, he's going to establish this kingdom. The kingdom's going to reign forever. All of this like really fantastic stuff, this major world stuff. That you're having a baby, and it's going to be amazing. And her response, because she's young, but she wasn't born yesterday, her response is, problem I'm a virgin. Like, how are we, how did, how is this going to happen? I know where babies come from, and this ain't it, chief. Like, this isn't, I, I need some direction here, right? Like, very, very practical, and I, I appreciate that. She's like, um, how is this actually going to work? Um, listen to his response. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. Okay, so she's like, how am I going to have a baby? How's this going to work? The angel's response is, oh, don't worry, the Holy Spirit's going to overshadow you. Is that comforting? <laughs> like, God's got power and stuff, and it's gonna be, you're going to have his power in you, and then you'll be fine. And then if you need a little more reinsurance, your cousin Elizabeth, you know, that old woman, she's having a baby. And I'm like, I feel bad for Elizabeth, who is forever introduced in history as the old Elizabeth. You know, it's like, man, poor thing, cut her a break. Uh, and it's like, and he makes a big point. Like, she was barren, by the way. Remember, she's not going to have children. Even she's having a kid. See? This is going to work. This is the reassurance the angel gives. And then he says these powerful words, nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing will be impossible with God. Now, if we can back out of the story for a second and just take it into today, into 21st century America, do you believe that nothing is impossible with God? Do you believe it? Because it's hard to believe, right? It's hard when you look around. It's hard when you've had that week, when stuff happens that you don't want to have happen, when the world is blowing up, when, when, things are, when, the, when the plans are falling apart. It's hard to believe that nothing will be impossible with God, that like God could handle anything, that he's going to handle this. Because he, honestly, there's times we just feel like he's not handling it. I mean, there are moments, there are moments that I believe... Nothing will be impossible with God when all my relationships are good and my children are getting along and we all love each other and work is going great and people are, someone writes me a nice note or something and, and, I, and I believe in the direction of, you know, the church and all the things like, there's moments when I feel like nothing will be impossible with God and then there's moments where, you know, I haven't had my coffee and I'm tired and just worn out and people are fighting and people are short with each other and, and things aren't going well and people write me angry emails or whatever it is and I just go, well, maybe God doesn't have this. Maybe God's not in control. Maybe this isn't going to work. Um, I think we've, we've all been there. 
But in the midst of your struggles, whatever they are right now, do you really believe that nothing will be impossible with God? That no matter what happens, He can handle it and, and deal with it and, and fix it and, and turn it towards your, your good. Mary believed the angel when he said that to her. Listen to her response to him. She, and Mary said, verse 38, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Have you ever said something that you, uh, you didn't know if you really believed it, but you thought if I maybe say it out loud, it'll be more true? Or maybe I'll start feeling it if I just say it? I kind of wonder if that's what Mary's doing here. Because I think she went from freak out to faith like really quickly. Like the whole thing was really overwhelming and then now she's all like, yeah, like whatever you want. I, I, I'm, I'm your servant. I'll, I'll handle this. Um, she just, she gets there pretty quickly and I'm just wondering if there's a piece of her that's still kind of freaking out. Like, does she say it through gritted teeth? Like, okay, I'm the servant of the Lord. Sure, whatever you say, this will be great, you know. Um, but, but there is something admirable in her response and it's maybe why we, we look at Mary as such an interesting figure in the whole Christmas account. Because she has this faith, because she has every reason to be scared. She's young. She'll be pregnant for the first time. That's always scary. That's always like, what's happening to my body? What's going on? So she's got that thing going on. And then on top of that, um, she has to go around telling everybody that her baby is not from her fiancé, Joseph, who she has to tell him, I'm pregnant and it's not your baby. Uh, and then she has to tell everybody else in the, in the town of Nazareth, which is not a big town and everybody knows everybody's business anyway, and she's going to walk around and she's going to be that girl who claims that her baby is God's baby, and everyone's going to be looking at her like, girl, come on, like, you're out of your mind, right? So there's social anxiety, awkwardness, being an outcast, all of that on top of first-time pregnancy and an angelic visit, and like, there's all this stuff that she's carrying, and, and her response is, all right, let's... Let's do this. Um, uh, God, she, she, she's like, God, you know, I'll carry God's baby, and, and in a sense, God will carry me. Uh, we'll get through this, so it'll be okay. Mary's Jewish, and the Jews have a long history of understanding that God carries them, that God sustains them, that God cares for them, because they've gone through a lot of ups and downs, and the previous 1,500 years before Jesus comes along. They've had moments of prosperity, and then they've had moments where they're attacked. Seven, 700 years before Jesus is born, uh, a ruler in Assyria named Tiglath-Pileser III attacks into the northern kingdom of Judah uh, and attacks this Galilee, that area, uh, north, what we, northern Israel, and kind of ransacks the place with his army. This happens in 722 B.C. And then about 150 years later, in 586 B.C., um, Babylonian Empire, they come in and attack also, and they sort of finish the job. They attack the southern kingdom, Jerusalem, all that, ransack the place, destroy the walls, destroy the temple, um, and then people are carried off. The Israelites are carried off as slaves. And right before they get attacked in 722 B.C., around 740 B.C., a guy named Isaiah writes, and he writes these prophecies, and his job is to speak God's words to the people. And what he has to say, coming from God to the people, is not good. He tells them, look, 
God's irritated with this. You guys are blowing it. You're serving other gods. You're enslaving people. You're being horrible people to one another, and, and you're ignoring me in the process. And so Isaiah has to speak those words from God to the people, and it's, and it's tough, right? And so he says this kind of stuff in, in about 740 B.C., right before they're about to get attacked and ransacked and all that. Um, but even in those moments of yeah, you guys are blowing it. You see these little redemptive threads. You see these, these, these phrases that sort of jump out where it's like, but God still cares for you. God is going to redeem you. God is going to make something out of this. Isaiah 40, verse 11, listen to the way God is described in this. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. It's beautiful. We, we, we sing that, and it's, that's in the Messiah, if you've ever heard Handel's Messiah. That's, those words are in the Messiah uh, that sing at Christmas every year. The idea that, that God is like a shepherd. And I don't, know what, I don't know what shepherds do. They look at sheep, right? It's pretty easy. I don't know. I've never really, I've not spent a lot of time in that career field um, or in parts of the world where they do. But, you know, they got stick and they're moving them around or whatever. But I guess there's this idea that even, like, if a, if a sheep is injured, that sometimes the shepherds would carry them, like, over their shoulders or, or hold on to them um, when they're wounded or, or take care of the lambs. And you, you see such a, 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 a very careful, caring person is sort of described here as God who's, who's caring for lambs when they're injured. And I... Um, I think I appreciate that maybe in two ways. One, as, as someone who needs God, um, I like the idea that God will carry me um, when I'm at the end of my rope, that he can, when I'm broken, that he, can, that he can gather me in his arms and hold me close. I, I like that idea. Um, and I also like it as a, as a father, the idea thinking about caring with my own sons. A couple weeks ago, my son uh, Declan was playing basketball and he's playing on a basketball team this year. And uh, I, was, I was in Midlothian at the urban farmhouse, which I call the suburban farmhouse, but don't tell them. Um, uh, I was out there, and um, I got a phone call from one of Declan's teammates' moms. So it was another team mom there on, on, on the basketball team. And as soon as I saw her number on my phone, I thought, oh, this is not good. I just, I was... He, I was like, my son has hurt himself. That's the only reason I'm getting a call right now. And the lady, she called me in, and I said, hey, what's up? And she said, hey, um, Declan's hurt, and it looks really bad. Um, and I think she was trying not to freak out or get me to freak out. She's like, um, Chris, it, you need to come quickly. He's like rolling on the floor screaming like it, it's really bad. It looks bad. And immediately tears came up in my eyes. Um, just this flood of like, oh no, like not, not my boy, like this is not good because um, he loves basketball and I know he wants to play and I was like, this is not, this is so bad. And he had already got a concussion a couple weeks before and broke the tip of his nose. He just has had a rough go of it and um, he needs to throw more bows, I think, just kind of, um, maybe don't throw the arm so much though, kind of easy on that. Um, so I went, I went and got him and um, and it's and it just as a dad, like you want to, 
And anyone who's got children who've injured themselves from little age all the way up, you know, you, you want to take that from them. You want to carry them. I, 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 want, I want to carry him, but he's like five foot nine, so it's kind of awkward, and it's not like, it's not, you know. Um, but, I, but I relate to that when I read it in the Scripture of, like, carrying the lambs, or, or you go, like, hey, I, I want to take this from you. I want to take the pain from you. I want, I want to be there for you because I know it, you're hurting. Um, and, and that's a picture of God, of what he does for us. I think it's beautiful. But he doesn't just carry us. Isaiah 46, 4, a couple chapters later, listen to this. It says, even to your old age and gray hairs, I am he. I am he who will sustain you. I have made you, and I will carry you. I will sustain you, and I will rescue you. See, God doesn't just carry us. He sustains us. He, he gives us life and continues to do so. I mean, we don't think about that enough. Breathe in and breathe out. That's another breath he gave you. He causes your heart to keep moving. You are not willing your heart to move, to do its thing. Something is sustaining you on the outside. And we don't think of God in those terms all the time. We think of God in the big picture stuff. Oh, he's, he's making world leaders do things and calming storms or whatever. No, he's giving you every breath that you breathe. He's sustaining you and keeping you moving forward. Um, and that's a, that's, a, that's a powerful thing from, from God. And, and, we, and we need to recognize that. We need to appreciate it. We, we miss him in those ordinary things. Um, you know, God is described as a God who carries us. And I kind of like it. I told you, as a child, you know, someone at the end of my rope, I kind of like the idea that God's carrying me, and then as a self-sufficient guy, I kind of don't like it. I don't like the idea that anyone has to carry me, that I'm a burden on anybody. I'm too proud for that. I don't want anyone to have to handle my business. I want to handle my business on my own. Um, and, and sometimes, so this idea that God carries me sometimes makes me a little uncomfortable. I would rather believe I'm in control. But if we look back at Mary, um, she seems to believe and she seems to be comfortable pretty quickly with the idea that God will carry her through this and that he's going to handle it. Mary knows her history and she knows her scripture. And we don't know all of what her heart or mind is like at that time. It's hard to mind read from thousands of miles away or even up close. Um, but listen to what she says. She sings a song about her kind of, and it tells you something about what she believes is going on. It's called the Magnificat is the way they call this song. This is what she says. Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. Isn't that been true? Like we, people still love this woman, right? For he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. She's got a lot going on, right? There's a lot, lot of things that she could be concerned about. But one thing you get the impression of from reading this is that she believes that God is carrying her. She believes that God has got a plan. And she even says, he always has. This is what he's done for Israel. This is what he does. He, he, he looks kindly at people who are in humble situations. She acknowledges that. Um, 
And so maybe for you today, you're in a tough spot. Maybe you're scared. Maybe you're angry, frustrated. Maybe you got news this week you didn't want to get. Maybe 2019 has not been your year. Um, and it's just been difficult. And maybe this is the time, if you haven't said it yet, maybe this is the time that you're like, Jesus, take the wheel. I, I just, I can't do this anymore. So how can we be carried and feel carried like, like Mary did, even today, even in the hard stuff that we go through? I want to give you two ideas, the second of which is going to be really unpopular, but I think this is it. I, I think if you're going to look at um, how people can build their faith in God and feel carried by Him and, feel, and know that He sustains them, I think these two things are really our best, our best way forward for that. Number one, we have to take some risks. We have to take risks. We live in a culture where we can avoid God altogether if we want you don't have to have God in modern America. It, and, and that has not been true in the history of the world. It's not, for most of the world, people have believed, hey, we, we are connected to God in some way. Um, and we've managed to sort of science and technology our way out of God. We go like, I can explain everything for the most part. Anything I need, I can get. Um, why do I need God when I have an iPhone? Um, kinda, I mean, it sounds silly, but like, the needs of the human heart are met there on my screen. Um, I can, if I'm lonely, I can find someone. If, I'm, if I want to check on my finances, I can look at that. If I need to connect with people, I can connect there. I've got GPS so I can locate where I am on the globe at any time. I mean, there's, and if, I'm, and if I need to be entertained, that's there. If I want to watch movies, that's there. Like, it's all there for you for a touch or a swipe. All the needs of the human heart come together in that little box except they don't quite, right? It doesn't quite get it, and I'm not sure that technology ever really will. There are, there are needs that we have um, that we can't, that, that technology will never get. And I'm not anti-tech, I'm just saying there, there's, there's more there. And, and I think in all of our desire for a technology, we have lost some faith. We've lost connection to God. And I think as a society, we're, we're actually paying for that. You know, if we were farmers right now, if we had all grown up in an agrarian society, you have faith in God because you have to. You don't make it rain. You don't bring the sunshine. The yield of your crops, you realize, is mostly not dependent on you. You're going to go work hard. You're going to do your part. But you're going to pray to God and rely on him to do his part. And, and we've managed to build an economy, to build a world, to build a life where we don't have to live that way. And we think that's better. And, and I, would, I would argue that it's not. We're, there's a lot of things we're, we're missing, uh, and there's a lot of faith that we're missing um, when, we're not, when we're absorbed in technology and not connected to, to our Creator. Um, so one way that we can um, feel that faith again and, and feel Him carry us and sustain us is to take risks, to step out and do things that scare you a little bit. Um, Intellectually, faith, I think we understand what faith means intellectually, but what emotionally faith feels like is it feels like taking a risk, usually. It feels like stepping out into maybe a bit of an uncomfortable space. So maybe here at Christmas, the challenge is, what are the risks you could take just this month? What are some risks you could take? Could you reach out and have a, a conversation with someone that it might be a little uncomfortable? Could you offer forgiveness to someone and open up a relationship? 
Could you do something financially to take a risk and go like, let me, let me invest here, let me give here in a way um, that, that might feel uncomfortable because it's a hard time of year and all that. We, we do Advent every year as a church, and if you're new here, I, I want to kind of lay that out for you. Topher talked about it a little bit last week, but this whole month we're looking forward to the celebration of the birth of Jesus on Christmas Eve and kind of doing that thing. Well, one of the things we've, we've said since the beginning of this church in 2008 is we want to celebrate Christmas not just by giving gifts to each other, but we want to honor Jesus because it's his birthday, and in a sense we want to give a gift to him or we want to do something for the kingdom of God, for his work. And so every year we've challenged people, don't spend every dollar that you can on Christmas presents for other people. Instead, set aside some money and give towards what we call our Advent offering where we take up a separate offering this month and we give it towards different projects that we're working on to advance the kingdom around the world. So we've done work in Haiti, we've done work in Vietnam, um, we've done some projects locally as well. We've done an a, a affordable housing project we did here a couple years ago. We were um, invested in adoption and foster care here last year. So we've done some projects over the years, and this year um, we're supporting and investing in the Brent family. You saw them on the video here at the beginning, the Brent family who's going to be relocating from here to Turkey uh, next summer. And so we want to financially support them and get them the best, you know, they got plane tickets and monthly support and all the things that they got to get. We want to get them going in the best way possible as a church. And it is our way of saying we are going with you to reach the, the country of Turkey um, and wherever they kind of springboard from there uh, with, with the gospel of Christ. And we've been praying as a church for years that God would raise up people from this church who are willing to go. And the Brent family is going to go, and we as a church are going to go with them. And so could you take a risk and give financially at Advent this year, through your app, through the website, whatever, uh, and give to support the work that God is doing there. We're excited about it, and, and, and I think this is a chance for us as a family to all come around them and say, we're going to do this, we're gonna do this thing together. Um, I, I think that'll be a, a powerful thing. So that's number one, is, is to take, take a risk. And when, we, when you take a risk, you get to see God come through and sustain you in, in pretty powerful ways. So, but number two... Uh, is this, walk through pain, or keep walking through the pain. Um, nobody wants to sign up for pain or suffering, right? Like if you got an option, suffering or no suffering, I'll go with no. Um, I, I, I get it. Um, but the truth is, when we walk through pain and we come out of that like tunnel of chaos and we come out on the other side, that's when we start to see and, and understand the depths of us and understand the depths of God. We, we, there's something that goes on in our soul when we go through suffering that, that changes us. And, it can, and if we let it, it can change us in a powerful way and it can build our faith in God and our dependency on him when we walk through pain. Uh, and, and, and we can see that he sustains us. I've got a friend right now, he and his wife, uh, his wife was diagnosed with cancer and they're in their 30s, so it's pretty young um, for that diagnosis. And, um, you know, he's been dealing with that and they, they're, they're dealing with that as a, as a couple and as a family and trying to figure that out. And I, I was able to get up with him for a drink a couple weeks ago and I said, hey, you know, how's it going and how can I help you? And, you know, we just talked through it for a while. And one of the things he said to me was, I just don't know, because he's a man of faith, and he said, I just don't know if um, I'm learning all of, about God that I should from this experience. Um, which is the kind of thing you say to a preacher when you have coffee with him or whatever. So it's fine. Uh, 
no, nah, he's, he's, he's a good dude, though. Uh, and so I said, yeah, I, I get that. Um, and what I tried to say to him, I didn't probably say eloquently, but what I tried to say was, hey, like, give yourself some grace for that. Like, it's okay to not, not like, be learning all you can in the moment. Because he's an achiever, and I kind of am too. So we're like, can I win this as well? Can I learn all that I need? You know, and it's like, just hold up. <laughs> you know, live in it, be in it, feel what you feel. Um, that's okay. And, and, you know, my experience has been over time, maybe not always in the moment, but over time God teaches you something through that and can reveal something to you through the really hard stuff. Um, but don't, don't feel like you've got to make it happen all, all, all at once. Uh, my experience and the experience of other people in this room that I've talked to is that pain can push you deeper. Theologian Paul Tillich says that suffering um, has the ability to carve out the floor of the basement of your soul, and when it does that, it reveals another cavity underneath that, and then it'll carve that out too and reveal another cavity underneath that. And, and, and what you find out is that suffering, um, you find out there's a depth to you that you didn't even know you had, that there's, there's actually more there, and nothing will fill that depth except for good relational and spiritual food. And I think that's a, that's a good thing to remember, that this is what suffering produces in us. The pain produces in us a deeper, something deeper in ourselves and a deeper connection with God where we recognize that He is carrying us and that He sustains us. I think Mary discovered that. Had God not shown up, who knows what she would have found out about herself. But in this moment when she's afraid and then she has to carry the baby and all the things that she'll go through, like in, in, in and then she'll also bury, she'll see her son buried later. So there's, there's so many things that Mary's going to go through as a parent of Jesus. Um, I, I, I think she finds out another depth of her soul, and she has to rely on God in, in some new ways. I think it's true of all of us. We don't know what we're made of until we're tested. The ancient um, Stoic philosopher Seneca said this, No prize fighter can go with high spirits into the strife if he has never been beaten black and blue. The only contestant who can confidently enter the lists is the man who has seen his own blood, who has felt his teeth rattle beneath his opponent's fist, who has been tripped and felt the full force of his adversary's charge, who has been drowned in the body but not the spirit, one who, as often as he falls, rises again with greater defiance than ever. I love that quote. Maybe you don't. There's probably, for some of you who are like, I don't want to feel my teeth rattle. <laughs> I don't want to taste my own blood. Um, but I love the idea behind it that um, you, you, you kind of have to get into that ring and get beaten up into, before you know that you can get back up. And I would even say it, because Seneca's not Christian, right? But I would say you got to get beaten up until you know that by God's power you can stand back up and that he's still with you that the enemy can take its best shot and that God is still, still with you. The, the, the New Testament tells us in the book of James that the testing of our faith is what produces perseverance. It's the hard stuff that will, that will make us strong. It's the pressure that makes the diamond. In the space of, um, so if you're today in this space of pain, uh, you're, you're in this, I'm in it right now, um, my encouragement to you is to keep walking with friends, um, keep praying, keep asking God to show up. 
and see what he does over, over, the long, over the long term. God might use it to do something great in you and through you. I think the truth of it is this. God carries us and he sustains us. Um, and, and you might not have internalized that for yourself yet. Um, a lot of times we don't internalize the fact that God carries us until we stop trying to carry our own selves. Um, until we, you don't, re- it's a cliche, but I think it's true, you don't realize God is all you need until God's all you have. And, and, and maybe that's where God is trying to get us to. I, I think Mary was there, and I think God met her in that space. And so where are you today? Are you comfortable? If so, let me challenge you to take a risk this season and see if God will carry you and sustain you. And if you're uncomfortable and you're in pain, um, lean into him and pray to him and keep walking um, and acknowledge that um, he's the one who will, who will carry you through it. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for the community here, for um, the chance to get together and talk about the hard stuff. God, I thank you for Mary and her example, the way she responds in faith to um, the message from an angel. And uh, God, may we be the people who would respond in faith in a similar way, that we would say, God, whatever you want, may it be done to us as, as, you're, as you want. Um, God, may we take some risks this season um, and, 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 um, and as we take risks, uh, may we have open eyes ready to see your, your hand at work. Uh, we love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.